0: Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley.
1: It's anger. Let me out of
0: fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust.
1: Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's
0: new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now.
1: Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Prepare to be astonished. With Brett Allen. Dude, we are so gonna party (laughs) a pop culture podcast (gasps) oh at the open mic no topic is off limits great odin's raven join in weekly as brett interviews your favorite celebrities from film television television, sports music and much more plus you never know who will stop by the mystic portal away now here is your host Brett Allen. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome into another episode of the podcast. Brett Allen coming at you live from the Bay Area studios. On the show today, we have comedian TJ. I'm excited for you to check this out. He talks about his brand new comedy special through Comedy Dynamics called January 3rd, which premiered on January 3rd. It's also available streaming on Amazon Prime. TJ, welcome into the podcast, my friend. It's good to have you here today.
0: Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited to chat with you.
1: First things first, how are you doing? How are your holidays? How has pandemic life been to you?
0: It's been uh, okay. I'm, I'm managing. The holidays were fine. I, I got to leave New York for a little bit, just be with some friends and recharge the batteries. So that was nice. And I'm back here. So we'll see what 2021 has in store beh- besides the, the demolition of America's democracy. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I tell you, <laughs> Everybody was like, whoa, all right, 2021, here we come. And then it's like an episode of I don't
0: know what. What what an entrance for a year, huh? What an entrance. As far as the entrance for a year goes, this is one of the better ones. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think it's mild uh, in comparison to everything else that has been happening. But I digress. We have far more important things to talk about. You have a debut special that is coming out or has already come out titled January 3rd, which happens to be your birthday. And this is a fun special. Let's talk a little bit about that. Was this recorded pre or post pandemic? Cool. Well,
0: it's already come out. It came out on January 3rd, the exact day of the title okay. of it. So yeah, it's available on Prime Video. So you can go and get it now. Uh, we got lucky. We recorded it last year, January 3rd. We recorded it on that exact day, which is part of where the title comes And uh, so we did it. And then two months later, the the world shut down. So I got very lucky in that respect and uh, I got to do it with uh, some comedians that I really enjoyed. I had a decent crowd come out and then we shot it and then we got a really good product. So I'm very excited to finally have it out and share it with the people.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's on Amazon Prime, which is a great streaming service for people to check out. I mean, there's just so much content right now for us to consume, but This is definitely one that we want to check out. So you've been doing comedy for a very long time and have been at this for some time. And this is your first special. Growing up, was comedy something that you wanted to do? Was it something that you found interesting or intriguing? Or was it something that came to you later on in life?
0: You know, it's something that came to me later on. I, I like comedy, comedy per se, but I grew up in Haiti and growing up in my culture, we did not have stand-up comedy. So I moved to the U.S. in 2008 for college and you know higher education. And that's where I discovered and fell in love with stand-up comedy. And that's where the the little light went up in my head where I kept watching it. The more I watched it, the more I thought, "This is something I actually really like." I think I might like this way more than being in college. So I spent two years in college, dropped out, and then I just started doing it in twenty twelve. So I've been doing it for over eight years now, and it's been my favorite thing in the world.
1: What do family think about you leaving college and pursuing this uh, crazy world of stand up <laughs> comedy? You're laughing. <laughs> People, we can see each other and I see this look on his face. Like, okay, there's a story here. So now we have to hear it. <laughs>
0: oh God, there's there's so many stories there. I don't even know what it's like. Th- well, first of all, my, my parents are like your stereotypical immigrant parents who want you to do the most notable, most respectable professions in life. You gotta be a doctor and a lawyer and all that hacky stuff. So when my mother found out I was doing this, she did not speak to me for at least three months. So there was a, a rift in there. And to this day, she still hasn't accepted it. She We speak now, but she still doesn't think that's a good thing for me to do. And that's not something I'll ever be able to change All I can do is do what I love to do and live my life for myself and just be okay with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's important and a very good lesson to note for our listeners or anybody who happens to be pursuing any type of creative art like this in particular, because it's like a lottery type job. There's a one in a million chance that you will get discovered. And when you do, you have to be ready for that opportunity, right? I mean, just because you have this special that, I mean, you've been working at that for a long time uh, before. I mean, that just didn't happen overnight, right? There's a lot of work and hustle that took place.
0: Yeah, there's there's no such thing as overnight. People talk about it all the time where they go, oh, that person is an overnight success. No, all it means is you did not know of them when they were working in the trenches. That's all it is. There is no such thing. So we all got to work and we just got to figure out what we're after. And I think that's the very important part of it because, you know, I've been in this for eight, eight, going on nine years now. And, uh, you know, I'm, I live in America. I like America. But there's a lot of aspects of American culture I'm not necessarily a fan of. Sure. Just the things that we push on people, the way we tell people they should live. Like, I legit think the word success should be redefined or be more specific. Like, when we look at someone, we go, oh, that's a successful person. Well, what does that mean? It means they have money. It means they're famous. It means they're on TV. What What does it mean?
1: How do you define that?
0: Uh, for me, it means I get to do the thing that makes me the happiest in the world. And I have a good group of people around me that I love and love me back. And it's a great support system where I don't need to feel like they need me to be something for me to have value to them. Where you just have sure. inherent value to your friends. Like You know, your friends don't like you because, oh, you Brett Allen, the guy with the podcast. Just like you because you Brett Allen.
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you. Success does need to be redefined in a lot of different ways. Because again, for what it means to you, it doesn't mean it to me, like success could be having you or anybody successful or famous on the show. That could be success to me, even though it doesn't necessarily involve money, right? I mean, it might involve some sort of notoriety or ability, but I didn't get here just waking up one day and starting a show. Like some people that it might work that way for them, but not mm-hmm. for us, you know, especially coming, you mentioned this earlier about uh, being an immigrant and coming into the country and, and having parents who at first weren't necessarily into what you did and, and still might not be, Them thinking, well, you get paid to, you know, I think Joe Coy jokes about that as well, too. When he started about his mom, you know, teasing him and saying, oh, how are you going to pay your doctor's bills by telling jokes? Right. Like, it's funny, but like in the reality, you know, your parents obviously want you to be successful and to have something that you can fall back on. And I'm sure they probably are like, well, maybe this is just a fad or it won't last forever, but. I'm, I'm also certain, too, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that mm-hmm. when they look at you, they have to be proud of you on some level that you have achieved this status, I would imagine.
0: Uh, I'd, you know, I'd like to agree with you. I just don't think it's the reality for them. Because sure. in their world, this doesn't mean that much to them. They don't know it. They don't know they don't have an example of a successful stand-up comedian in Got it. So for them, like if I woke up one day and go and buy them a house, then they would say, Oh, I guess this thing is worth something. <laughs> It's not a waste of time completely. So that's what it is. And But I don't want to make that my focus. Otherwise, you get lost and then you sure. lose yourself and then you start doing things just for that goal, which means you don't have any integrity anymore. So it's, it's difficult. It's just a, a, a different way of looking at life. And for them, success is, even if you're a broke doctor, you're a doctor. And they can tell their neighbors, my right. son is a doctor. That's just something to them that means something. That's the oh, culture. he's
1: a comedian.
0: What? Yeah, it's like what? Is, what is that?
1: Oh, who are That's some of your? Yeah, living. I know. It's funny. Who are some of your influences, like that, inspired you to really pursue this crazy dream uh, of stand up?
0: Oh man, there's there's a few, but I'll give you the ones that were immediate uh, when I was here. So 2008 was my first year in America, and at the time, Comedy Central had this great lineup. At 11 and 11.30, Jon Stewart and Stephen Colbert on The Daily Show. Yeah. And those guys were my first exposure to American culture and American politics and the American mindset. And they stayed funny through all of that. And I would say those guys were my first education into America and my first exposure to what it's like to be funny. And then I discovered stand-up comedy itself. Okay. So I would say my big, big first inspiration, and he actually sadly died that year also, as George called. Wow,
1: yeah, that, that's incredible. So looking back to when you first started to now, and we've measured your life as a success, obviously, for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. Is there any piece of advice that you wish somebody would have told you or that you would have listened to coming up that would have changed the trajectory of how you started?
0: Um, I would say do not compete with other people. Just try to find your own voice. I think that's a very important piece of advice, especially in show business, because it's so clear when we get, because everything about it is public. So we see other people doing things. We see our peers doing stuff. we see, And it's very hard not to compare yourself to other people, especially when it's people that are in the same field that you might know that are doing your thing. So If you can find that wisdom to go, hey, I'm finding my own voice and I'm not trying to compete with this person. What they eat doesn't affect what I'm going to eat. The accolades doesn't take away from whatever accolades I might get. So you're just finding like, oh, I'm successful and happy when I get to do what I want to do. And when I get to do it in the most authentic way possible, which is me being the most me, that's my gift so I'm very excited about that and yeah I think that's a that's the advice that I, I I have it now but I wish someone gave it to me when I was starting out.
1: How long did it take you to where you started to feel comfortable on stage and really find your particular voice and your point of view in your comedy?
0: Ah that's a that's a good question. I don't know if I've thought about the years or hmm okay so I would say in the past, Four, five years or so, I really became comfortable with uh, saying whatever I wanted to say, even if it meant there would be disapproval from the audience. Sure. Yeah. When you get comfortable with possible silence as a comedian, that's when you you sort of embracing, oh, I'm not trying to just do this to be a people pleaser. I'm trying to do this to express something specific. And if it happens to not be for that audience, I have to be okay. Yeah. So I like, I remember like silence to me was a big part of it. Cause when you first start, there's all the nerves. As soon as I get on stage, like I remember first year or so, every time I get on stage, I just wanted to say something just because the silence wasn't comfortable. You're just trying to get to a laugh, to the noise so you can sure. feel good. And then I remember I did the show like maybe a year, a year and a half in where I told a joke and it worked. And then I brought my drink on stage for the first time. And that's, that's a big, like, you're trying to be cool, but you, sometimes you do it, but you don't even know if you actually can pull it off. <laughs> so I let I let the laughter simmer, and then I took a break, and then I took a sip from the drink. And while I'm doing that, I could feel the entire audience just sitting with me in silence, waiting for what I'm going to say next. Got it. And that was a big milestone for me because it created this moment. Oh, I'm comfortable with this. And they're also okay waiting for me because now they trust me.
1: That's interesting. I've never heard it put that way before because I've heard people say, you know, well, I I got on stage and I always was just trying to make people laugh and just be funny and not really stick to the flow of my set or kind of going with the crest of the laugh or, you know, boom, 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 punchline or punchline, hook, punchline, however you present yourself. And and watching your special, you know, I can tell that you're very relaxed. You're very comfortable with just being you on stage. And that's got to be a great accomplishment, I would imagine, as a comedian, is just being comfortable in your own skin, right? And not having to worry about Making somebody laugh unnecessarily, I guess, would be a way I would describe it.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. I think half of being a comedian is learning how to write jokes, learning how to be funny, learning how to deliver them. And the other half is being comfortable with the person you are so that the audience can accept it too. Because if you are, then you're fine. It's like, all right, this is who I am and I'm giving it to you. So take it. So I think once you have those two halves covered, then the work is just... Keep going and then you'll figure it out eventually. But yeah, I think that's a very important part of it. Just comfort.
1: I mean, I've seen comedians, big and small, lose the audience and become nervous because they aren't going along with the flow of however their set might be going. And sometimes it can go either really well or horribly well and just make everybody uncomfortable in the audience because we are feeling what you're feeling. We're showing up. A lot of people that see comedy, I always look at it. There's like two categories. There's destination people who just go to the comedy club once a month. They don't really care who is there as long as it's just somebody funny. It could be you on the, (laughs) the, you know, headlining or anybody. Or there's a second group of people who Go out to the comedy club specifically to see somebody because they're a fan and they've seen them on TV or film. Like I just talked to Maz Gibrani. So, you know, I would go see Yeah, very great. And I would go see him, you know, because I knew who he was, or you. Oh, he was on my podcast. I want to go meet TJ and introduce myself and see how things are going for him. So I think there's two different categories, but at the end of the day, we're all in the same boat in the audience we want to be entertained we've had a couple drinks mm-hmm. and i think that there's a fine line by and that's the best description i've seen uh or heard of in regards to finding your voice and finding your comfortability as a stand-up and really going okay this is something that i meant to be doing right i mean that's the best way i can explain it i think
0: yeah yeah i agree i think i think uh, it's a well put and that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Just to add on that, I actually think, because you said there's, there's two groups of people who go to a comedy club. There's the destination people. It's something to do. And then there are other people who are fans. I think, you know, the fans, obviously you want that when you become right one, you become a name, you're a draw. But I do think in the early years when you're developing, it's more beneficial to a comedian to be in front of the destination
1: people. 100%, 100%.
0: Yeah, they're not your fans. They don't know you. So now it's just you going to work in front of strangers, which is what the most basic form is what comedy is. Can you make the strangers laugh?
1: Yeah, especially if you're following, like if you're in, there was a movie that came out, sorry, just sidetracking here that that Steve Byrne produced and directed and and put together called The Opening Act.
0: The Opening Act, yeah.
1: Yes, and Steve's a big uh, fan of our show and we've had him on. And we were talking about, how this movie sort of defines that person who goes and travels has to take care of their own everything. And they're like the, the guy that is the opener and then the middle. And then, you know, the headliner, which is kind of the badge of honor that people Mm
0: -hmm. sort of
1: want to achieve in your, in your career field. And your colleagues are all kind of there trying to do the same thing. So I agree with you. I think that's important because if, I've heard other people say, comedians, that if you let's say you're opening for, you know, D.L. Hughley as an example. If you can mm-hmm. make people laugh at a level that makes him go, damn, this guy is good. Now I have to go out and, you know, give just as much effort as he did or more than the than the middle guy or the opener. I think that's a big deal in my opinion. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a huge deal. And it makes for a better show. You're not 100 percent,
1: man, 100 percent,
0: you know, just you're not someone who's just killing time until they see DLU.
1: Why? Yeah. Well, it feels that way sometimes, <laughs> depending on who it is and how yeah, they're doing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I know comedians like to bust other comedians. And it's just it's I think out of every job in entertainment that you could possibly have, you know, your job is the one with the most unsurety as far as like, like you're an actor, you know what your day is going to look like. You know, you're going to go, you're going to have a scene partner. It might be somebody famous. And you, I mean, you don't know how they're going to be. You might mm-hmm. have your conceptions as far as, or misconceptions or understandings. Do you know what I'm saying? But like for you, you're rolling up to the comedy club. You're, you're the middle act. You've got ABC opening, which I think if, 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 you know, whoever that is, some local talent, and then the headliner probably has some sort of involvement on who the middle act is to a degree, probably. But I yeah. mean, you just don't know how it's going to go when you show up there. You have no idea. And that has to be one of the most nerve-wracking things, I would think.
0: It is It is very nerve-wracking. And I actually, I actually think that's what kind of makes it such a such a special gig 100 because like you said like actor kind of knows what the job is gonna be like whoever but the the live performance aspect of it whenever something is live it has that element of danger like i could live and i could die every <laughs> night this really is like not so much for a famous comedian, but when you're coming up, this is it. People don't know who you are. So every time you go, they're like, all right, look at this motherfucker. Let's see if it's funny. That's the attitude.
1: It is. I've had that attitude. Like I've seen, and it's kind of gone the reverse too, where I've gone to see a headliner, but the opening act or the middle or whoever is funny. Or the, so what, there's the opener and then there's the... The feature and then there's feature? and yeah. then there's Headliner. the, you know, yeah. headliners. So it's like sometimes the feature or even the opener are funnier than the main act. And I think people too don't necessarily understand, you know, a comedy club is where you're working out material. So you're trying new things out. So there can, Unless you're touring a special, like somebody's touring something and you've seen it, so you kind of know what to expect, the rat-a-tat-tat, and throw in some greatest hits and some new material. And I think it's all great. TJ, you're a true treasure, my friend. I- I'm excited to see what happens. If people have not seen this, January 3rd, it's available on Amazon Prime. You need to check it out. And uh, if people want to connect with you on social media or just learn more about your comedy, TJ, how can they do that?
0: Uh, You can find me at TJStandUp on uh, Instagram and Twitter. That's at TJStandUp, one word. And it's very easy. That's where I post all of my stuff. And I have all my links there. Everything that I've done, you can find through that platform at TJStandUp.
1: Yeah. And check out the special. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, We... We have no excuse. We have nothing better to do. This lockdown is not ending uh, anytime soon like we hoped. And wear a mask, please, regardless of your political position. It helps. we got to get these guys back to work full time. These clubs up and running, you know, they are suffering just as much. much. Everybody, you know, from the door guy to the bouncer, to the server, to the lighting person. I mean, we got to... uh, We got to get this going uh, because we need live entertainment again. TJ, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having
0: me, man. I appreciate it. It was fun. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend
1: and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.